Good to see you here this morning again. We are in the midst of a series called If, about the possibilities in life, about how that one word, if, has so many kind of possibilities and that life is like a series of doors that could open for you and you walk through them and that decisions you make on a daily basis have an impact on how you live. And so today we're going to continue that series. But um, this week as I was looking through things and reading um, information, studying, I came across some information about a guy that some of you may know his name, some of you may even uh, know his works. Uh, but the guy was influential in American literature by the name of Ernest Hemingway. How many of you have heard of Ernest Hemingway, right? Here's a picture of Ernest Hemingway. His eyes or were, um, he was a troubled man, but he wrote amazing fiction. He wrote a, uh, book, um, Farewell to Arms, An Old Man in the Sea, won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction and won the Nobel Prize for fiction. And so he was a, an interesting man and somebody, now there's this, it's a legendary challenge, so we're not real sure it happened, but it sounds like it could have happened and it's good even if it didn't, alright? Um, somebody asked him one time, can you write a great story in six words or less? So Ken Wright, this is a novelist, and not, his novels weren't necessarily the longest novels. Oh man, the sea is not a really long novel. They said, can you write a great novel or great story in six words or less? He took the challenge, and this is what he wrote. This is the whole book. You're going to read a Hemingway book right here. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. Now, when you first read that, oh, that's kind of, I don't really see a plot line there, but... When you think about it, you realize that there is substance in the midst of that. There's loss or hope or difficulty. It was amazing that in six words, he conveyed such meaningful information. Well, there was an online magazine a few years ago that, based on this legendary story, asked people, if you could explain your life in six words or less, what would you say? So you only have six words. That's all you've got. How would you describe your life? I mean, think about that for your own life. You only got six words. That's that's all we're going to give you is six total words. What would you describe your life? How would you describe it? What would you want people to know about you? And so they put this out and they got such a response that they actually wrote a book. The name of the book, by the way, was a quite good uh, six uh, word description of life, which was not quite what I was planning. Right? So people started to write in, and the people wrote in so much that they made a book out of it. Some people were famous, they put some of those in there. Some people that were obscure, they put those in there. And so here are some of the uh, six-word answers for what their life was like. Here's the first one. One tooth, one cavity. Life's cruel. Alright? So, I mean, when you only got one tooth, one cavity's significant, right? It's 100%. Alright? Here's the next one. The psychic said I'd be richer. It's apparently people that played the lottery on Wednesday and didn't have one of those tickets, alright? This is the, the next one's an interesting one. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. Now here's what makes this particular one interesting. It wasn't written by an aging grandmother, it was written by a nine-year-old boy. Now that I brought the room way down, here's another one. Alright? Not a good Christian, but trying. And perhaps a commentary on a lot of our lives is the last one that we have. Thought, I would have more impact. Six words. That's it. How would you describe your life? You know, I've been pastoring now for almost 15 years. 
In those 15 years, one of the things that I've discovered kind of talking with people, walking with people through life and talking about what it means to follow Christ and even in my own experience of trying to follow Christ and to do all that he's called me to be and raise a family and be a part of the church and, and, and be a good person in society and a contributor community. Um, one of the things that I've discovered in life is that people um, our age, our generation, the generation above us and below us, that in general we seem to think that this life that we're living is exhausting and that we're walking through life and we just never seem to get a grasp on it. In fact, if I was going to write a six-word description of life for our generation, for those of us in this room, for the people that live in this time, this is one that I came up with. And it was simply this. Stretched and tired, weary and worn. There just seems to be this place of... You know, I, I just can't get it all done. Or, or I really start off well and I really do some really good things, but then I just, uh, I, I just can't keep it up. I can't sustain it. I was thinking about it because last week we talked about Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Romans chapter 8. And I asked uh, many of you, and I've already had some people talk to me about this, that to, to read Romans 8 every day over the next three weeks. And so if you're here and you weren't here last week, then you get a pass. You weren't here last week. If you're here and you didn't read it this week, the good thing is the first verse tells us there's no condemnation. So really can't get on to you about that. But uh, you read it this week, all right? And so Romans 8 chapter 1 says there is now no condemnation. For those that are in Christ Jesus, and we talked about that, that phrase condemnation, that it was a legal term, that meant that the, the crime had been deemed, you've been deemed innocent, that the penalty had been wiped away, and that the punishment no longer mattered, and that we have been condemned when our sin, but that Christ, through Him, we have been saved. And you would think after Romans chapter 8 verse 1 that you would read that, and for those of us that are in Christ, that would be the best news possible, and that the life that we live would be carefree, and that we wouldn't really have many concerns, and that it wouldn't be that kind of difficult for us to live this life. And yet experience teaches us that the truth is we continually find ourselves frustrated with our obedience or lack thereof, with our following Christ or not, that we find ourselves in kind of this repetitive pattern where we're consistently looking to try to do the things we're not supposed to do. We're supposed to come to worship. We're supposed to help out the poor. And we're supposed to do missions. And we're supposed to do evangelism. And we're supposed to pray. And, 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 and. And all of it, there's a sincere desire to do it. But it's usually followed with failure and frustration and exhaustion. The good news is, Romans 8 is going to help us to understand how we live without that. But before we do that, we've got to remember something about the guy that wrote it. Now, who wrote the book of Romans? Those of you who have been around a little bit. Who wrote Romans? Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy that uh, planted lots of churches, wrote most of, the, most of the books in the New Testament. And here, I, I want to do a quick math lesson with you here. Make sure you're just sharp this morning. Our, some of our middle school boys did not go to sleep last night. That's exciting, isn't it? Imagine standing up here looking at them while you're preaching to guys that did not go to sleep last night, including my own son, who is <laughs> just staring at me, all right? And so, I need to make sure your brain is working and things are going, all right? So here's the question. Romans 8 is where we're studying over the next, the next couple of weeks. What comes right before Romans 8? Romans 7, right? You get that? 8 comes right before 7. I want to show you a few verses out of 7, written by Paul, the guy that says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And this is what he says. Paul, this is Paul. Paul, you know, like St. Paul, like big time Paul, right? For I do not understand my own actions. Can I get an amen there, right? 
Anybody ever do stuff you don't understand? Like, why did I do that? Right? He's this Paul. This is not some uh, <laughs> middling Christian in the first century. This is Paul. I don't understand my own actions. Then he says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul says, in my life, I look at it and I'm like, man, there's no way I want to do that anymore. And the next day I find myself doing the very thing I said I would never do again. And then there's stuff that I'm like, man, i got to be doing more of that. And I find myself not ever doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing. And it's easy when you read this passage, we're going to read a little bit more, to get caught up in the whole do's and do nots, and I do what I do not want to do, and I do not do what I want to do, and I don't do this, and I do this. They get caught up. But it just speaks to the reality of our lives oftentimes that there's stuff out there we know we're supposed to be doing. And we just don't. And then there's stuff that we know we're not supposed to be doing. Like, don't get close to that. Don't touch that. And for some reason, we find ourselves in the same familiar sins and actions again and again and again, he says, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. He's saying this. He's doing this whole argument about the law from the Old Testament that it was there to keep us kind of in order until Christ came. And he says, listen, the law was necessary because people would have gone nuts without it. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And then he says it again. For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. What Paul is describing here is what one pastor has called the exhausting Christian life. It's not the victorious life. It's not the triumphant life. It's not the easy life. It's not the peaceful life. It's exhausting Paul admits it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to let us know that it's not unusual to live your life in your own power. And when you do, when you try that, it never works. Paul admitted that there are certain point in his life, in his life, when it was hard for him. And when Christianity wasn't working for him. Now, for him it was a temporary problem. We're going to see that in just a moment because we get to Romans 8 and things seem to have changed. Or he gives a solution to the issue and we're going to talk about it. But the truth is, for him, there was an time and an experience when it just wasn't working. And what I discover is, there are a lot of people in life that unfortunately, they're not like Paul. It's not a temporary condition. It seems that their life is always in this semi-circular pattern of trying harder, trying harder, trying harder, failing, 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 trying harder, trying harder, trying harder, failing, failing, failing. Now, if you want a biblical model of that, just go read the book of Judges, where it tells us at the very beginning that in that time there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And what we see in that scripture is they turn away from God. They do what they want to do. And then they, they have a savior come. They cry out to God. A savior comes. Someone, a judge that helps them. And they turn back to God and they recommit their lives to God. And they pray at the altar. And they sign a card. And they said, I'm never going to back to the way that we used to be. And they do that for about a year. And then all of a sudden the whole nation turns again. And it's the national story of what many of us experience. Rules without resources. Laws without life. Initially exhausting, ultimately excruciating. It's a powerless Christian life that falls into lukewarm mediocrity where you show up and you sit and you listen, but nothing really changes. It's almost like that um, our, our walk with the Lord, we're in the midst of this and there's like a carrot on the end of the stick. You ever played a game with your dog or kid, right? Where you're like... 
Here, come get this, come get this, right? And then you keep walking back. I remember when I was learning to swim. I mean, it's torture when you're in the pool and your swim teacher's like, just swim to me, just swim. And then you realize they're walking backwards the whole time, right? Christian life, some way, feels like that. feels like it's out there. We understand it. We hear people talking about it. But, but we, we think it's just close enough and we don't grab it. And it moves farther away from us. Many of us approach... Well, we just gotta, we just gotta try harder. We just gotta do better. The reason I can't grab it is because I'm not doing enough. I gotta, I gotta work harder. I gotta do better. I gotta change my methods. Be more loving. Be more patient. Be more self-controlled. Pray. Study the Bible. Witness. And we get all these things going like some professional juggler getting them all in the air at once. And at some point, we can't handle it all and it all comes crashing around. We try to be a godly man or a godly woman in our own strength. A good church person in our own strength. And it just doesn't work. And you come on Sunday morning and I stand up here and I talk to you and you leave, you hear the Bible and you read God's Word and you get out of here and you're like, man, this stuff's got to change. i got to change this in my life. There's more stuff i got to do. And then Monday comes and maybe you start out really well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Romans 8 every day this week. Monday comes, you're like, whew, did, did I realize there are a lot of verses in there? I mean, like, I think what he said was, yeah, I need to read Romans 8 sometime this week. Like, just spread it out. And so Monday, you get in there, I'm going to read it all. And you, you get up 15 minutes early, and man, this is awesome. And you read it, and everything's good. And then Tuesday, you get like, well, I just, I just read the parts I really like out of it. That end part was really good. I like that. And then by Thursday, you're like, I've, I've read it a couple of times. I just, I just can't set my alarm 15 minutes early tomorrow. I mean, it's been a long day. I went to church tonight on Wednesday night. It made it long. And by Friday, you're done, and you're saying, I just hope he doesn't bring it up Sunday. Remind us about it. You walk out of here committed, man. This is going to change. It's going to be different. And then it's just not. And so every Sunday, you kind of walk in with that, and you walk out not ready. And the key is what's found in Romans 8, and we'll get there in just a minute. Paul discovered something in his life that allowed him to live where this was no longer the pattern of his life. I mean, we read that and we somehow, sometimes we think, well, Paul's just telling us what it kind of was like. He didn't really experience it. Sometimes we read it and goes, that's what Paul did all the time. But scripture doesn't teach us that's what Paul did all the time. This was a portion of his life. And then he figured out the secret to living a powerful, invigorated Christian life. And it really comes from four words. And we're going to put these words on the screen Instead of a six-word life, it's simply this. Not I, but Christ. Now, he tells us not in Romans 12 about this. We're, we're get, I mean, Romans 8. I promise we're getting there. But it comes in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the point is that Christ lives through him. Now, the way he does that is the secret to this whole thing. And he tells us that in Romans 8. But he basically tells us, you can't try to live your life by yourself in your own strength. Not I, but Christ. And as long as you're attempting to make these changes on your own, as long as you're attempting to do it better, as long as you're attempting to do it stronger, be more faithful, be more patient. You ever really tried to be more patient? Like, that doesn't work at all. I'm just going to be really be patient today, I promise. I promise it's going to be patient, I'm going to be patient. Come on, give me something so I can be patient about it, alright? Not I, but Christ. Um, This week, uh, 
I found online uh, something that my boys and I have watched the last two or three years that we love watching. And um, you, you can go on YouTube and find it, and uh, you can watch the whole thing. We're going to watch a little clips of it today. But it was just people doing crazy stuff. The, the title of the video is called People Are Awesome. It's a YouTube channel. Our kids actually watch this on Wednesday night. But you can go ahead and start that wherever it is. And so people just doing crazy stuff. So like this guy's on a sea host, oh, that's really cool. But then he jumps off over into a canyon. Yeah, like you may want to do that. Like this guy right here. I didn't realize they filmed me uh, a couple of weeks ago there. <laughs> Look at that. Look at this guy, like right there. Right? And then one of the things I love about this video um, is that it reminds me of a show I used to watch when I was... That guy's nuts. <laughs> Just nuts. I, a, a video that I used... This, guy to, this guy's uh, a little crazy, all right? So we'll cut it off because otherwise y'all aren't going to listen to me, all right? All right? Well, here's the thing. It reminds me of a show when I was growing up. There was a show on TV called That's Incredible. Anybody remember That's Incredible, right? Then they would do these incredible things every week. And what I always remember about it is they would do really cool stuff and stuff that looked weird, but then like they would always build to like a big finish, right? And uh, they, they had three hosts, uh, like uh, um, Fran Tarkington was one of them. They would be out there. They, they do something big. And at the end of the show, when they're going to do this death-defying stunt, this never-before-seen on national TV, this person could really die kind of stunt. They would always have one of the hosts come on and say, as always, viewers at home, just a reminder. Anybody know what they'd say? Don't try this at home. Now, when you're an eight-year-old boy, that basically means try this at home, right? But they would say, don't try this at home. Like, it's not worth it. Invariably, they would say, don't try this at home. Now, what Scripture says to us over and over and over again is that if you're trying to live the life of following Christ in your own power, you are doing something absolutely crazy. Here's the secret to that life. Romans chapter 8. Verse 1 we talked about last week said, There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But then starting in chapter 8, we're going to kind of skip around and through this passage. You can go back. I mean, all of you have read it all week, so you know it. But I just want you to notice kind of a theme that's here. And some, these will be up on the, on the screen as well. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but if you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. The body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of life is life because of righteousness. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All right, just a quick question. Was there any word that was repeated several times in there that kind of stood out? Apparently not. What is it? What's the word? Spirit. Here's the key, okay? The key to living a life that is not exhausting but invigorating, that is not powerless but full of power, is you have to allow the Spirit of God to control your life. 
Spirit, 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 Spirit. Over and over and over again. If you want to get precise about what Christ in me is that Paul talked about, not I, but Christ, it is the Holy Spirit of God. We cannot change ourselves on our own. We cannot be like Jesus. It doesn't matter how many WWJD bracelets you wear. You cannot on your own live like Jesus. I mean, think about it. In Acts 1, we, we talk about Acts 1-8 here at the church a lot, about we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we list that, and we talk about it, but sometimes it's my fault because I don't give you the first part of that. And at the first part of that, he says, go and wait. And when the Spirit of God descends upon you, then you will be my witnesses. See, he didn't tell him, just go do the work. Go tell everybody you know about me. He says, Wait. Because you cannot do what I've asked you to do unless the Spirit of God has in you your life and it has filled you up. In fact, Ephesians 5.18 says this, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, let me just be real honest with you. As Southern Baptists for the last 100 years, we've been really good at preaching the first part of this. Right? You go to a Baptist service, well, people don't drink there. We've been terrible about talking about the most important part, the second part. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. Don't, don't go out there and get drunk. But allow your life to be filled with the Spirit. Now, what is that word filled in? Well, the original context is that it meant to be controlled by, intoxicated by, permeated by, thoroughly influenced. In the rest of the Bible, it's used other times. And one time it's talked about when Jesus is teaching and people get mad at him and it says they were filled with wrath. In Acts 13, it's talking about some people that were mad about Paul and Barnabas. Then it describes them as filled with jealousy. It means to be overcome by a power greater than you can control. Um, that, that something makes you involuntarily give up control, stop what you're doing, and do something different. Um, a, a few years ago, like uh, well, more than that, a lot of years ago, I played football. One year. That's all I ever played. One year of football, my senior year of high school, I played football, and I was the I was the twelfth man team. We only played special teams, kickoffs and kickoff returns. That's all we did. I was the gunner on the pooch kick. My job was to knock out the guy that would catch it. And on returns, I was the next to last guy to line to block whoever was the third from the kicker on the left side. That was my job. And so we line up, and what you do when we're lining up, you'd line up, and the guys in front of you would count off and call off your number. You got 12, you got 28, 41, that was my number, 41, you got. We're playing one team in particular, I remember, uh, Team Jackson Central Mary, JCM. They were number one in the state that year. They had three guys that would play Division One football, one guy that would play about 10 years at middle linebacker for the Denver Broncos in professional football, a guy by the name of Al Wilson. Okay. Played at UT, won a national championship. And so the first, we're up there and they're getting ready to kick off. And uh, I, I look and uh, a guy named Jason was the guy calling out my number. And I still remember this moment. Jason turns around and says, Larson, you got seven. You may want to guess who seven is. I was like, I think he misaligned. I don't think that's where he's supposed to be. And so I think, well, it's nothing. It's nothing. I'm Lyle. I can get this, right? <laughs> I just want you to know, at that time I weighed about 150. All right? Al did not weigh 150. Al was about 6'2", 6'3", 230, 240, straight muscle. All right? And so I get, I get the, you know, the kick, kick is kicked to us. Guy behind me catches it. We form the wedge. You can still do that back then. And we start to run forward. And I see Al, number seven, coming right at me. And I get ready to go into my stance to really give him a good, I'm going to block him. And Al puts a move on me I've never seen before. 
I ole Al with air. Al goes around, makes the tackle, right? So I get back out on the thing, and they get on the sideline, and they talk about it, and they're like, I know what they were saying, like, Larson cannot block Al Wilson. Yes, that should have been number one on your scouting report. That was not going to happen, all right? And so we get back out there, and they call out different numbers, and I've no longer got the third guy. I've got the fourth guy. And so that means I don't get Al Wilson. So the moral of that story is do really bad at your job, and they'll give you something else to do, right? (laughs) But the guy next to him is an all-state running back who beat out Al Wilson to be the tailback. Now, he only weighed about 195, and so I'm, I am like 50 pounds lighter on my guy I've got to block. He comes running down, and I, you know, this is one of those moments. I'm a senior in high school. I, I got I got a credibility on the line here, and I'm like, I am going to show these people I know how to do my job. So he comes down. He tries to put a move on me, and as he's going to put a move, it is the best block I have ever done in my life. I mean, my hands go exactly to the right position. I'm up under the uh, shoulder pads. I may or may not have had a fistful of jersey to hold him where he couldn't move. Uh, that, that, that detail is hazy, all right? I don't really remember that. But as I'm locked up with him, I'm in my mind. You, just, you know how you do Like, man, man this is good. Like, like this is going to look good on film. Like, we're going to watch this. Like, I'm thinking all that. And all of a sudden, the guy gets tackled by Al Wilson. And he rolls into my legs, like right into the back of my knees. And there is a pain that shoots through my body that I have never experienced before in my life. And while I am sitting there, proud of myself, ready to go, looking, you know, almost to that point of, look, yeah, y'all looking at me, look at this. All of a sudden, you know what I do when that pain hits? I just let go. Fall to the ground and let go, and my guy finishes up the secondary part of the tackle. But at that moment, my body was taken over by the pain and nothing else mattered. What Paul says is that we have to come to a point where the Spirit of God takes over our lives. And what we see in this passage is, in this verse, this one verse, that tells us about Romans chapter 8, where Paul says over and over again, if you live by the Spirit, you're not going to live by the flesh. And if you're controlled by the Spirit, you're not going to live by the flesh. The idea is, if you live by the Spirit, you're going to do the things you're supposed to do and not do what you're not supposed to do. First of all, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. This isn't optional. This isn't, hey, that, that's, the, that's the graduate level Christianity class. That's for people that are really serious about their faith. It says, if you are following Jesus Christ, you ought to be filled with the Spirit. It's a commandment. Never in Scripture are we just commanded to be indwelt or to be baptized in the Spirit because that happens at conversion. But we are told to be filled with the Spirit. Now the second thing we see here, and this is going to take you to English class for just a second, that this filling is passive. We don't do it ourselves. We can't go make it happen. We can ask the Lord, but God is the one that does the filling. If you remember in English class, passive means that the subject of the sentence is not doing the action. He's being acted upon. And in this case, we are the ones that are being filled by the Spirit of God. It's for everyone. It's not for a select few. It's not for a couple of us. In fact, if you look at this in the original language, what it really says is, but y'all be filled with the Spirit. That's the southern version. You all, it's a plural you. You, every one of you, be filled with the Spirit. And then we see this. It's not permanent. And so we have to continually ask the Lord to do it. So here's the question for you today. If you're tired of living that exhausting Christian life where you're always seem to just get close, and you never can quite live in the power of what God intends for you to do, more than likely it's because you're not being filled with the Spirit of God. So that's great, Lyle. What, what does that mean? 
What does that look like? How does that happen? Well, even though we have been set free and are not condemned, there are things and conditions in our lives that can prevent the Spirit from working. I want to give you, as we end, three steps. And these are sound simple, and they do sound simple, but they're not. Three steps to you being filled by the Spirit so you can live that life. Number one, you've got to confess all known sin. This isn't going to be on the screen. You might write this down. Confess all known sin to God. Get a piece of paper. Get a pen. Find a place where nobody else is around. Turn the TV off. Put your phone away. Turn off notifications on your phone. Get on your knees and say, Lord, I don't know why, but I keep living this life. I don't know exactly how to fix it, but I keep living this life where I feel like I'm never going to have the power. I'm never going to be filled with your spirit. Lord, I want that in my life. But I know there are things stopping me from doing it. And so right now, Lord, I'm going to ask you to bring to mind all the sin in my life that I need to confess to you. And the reason you got a pen and the reason you got a piece of paper is because you need to write it down. As it comes to mind, you write. As it comes to mind, you write. And the spirit of... A fear, a spirit of worry. What you did last Tuesday night, what you did last night, what you said to your kids, what you said to your parents. And then you just confess those things to the Lord and say, Lord, take them away. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be that person. Listen, the condemnation that comes is gone. You have been forgiven of that sin. But that doesn't mean that continuing in sin prevents us from living as God calls us to do. It does. So you confess that to the Lord. He'll bring mind all kinds of things. Relationships that are right. Sins that you have made right with him, but not with people he injured. Action and attitudes you chose that were sinful. Righteous priorities that you have known but have neglected. As they come to down, just write them and say, yes, Lord, is there anything else? And when it's complete, go back over it, repenting of every specific matter on the list. As you do, promise that you'll make restitution where restitution needs to be made and apologies where that needs to be made as well. The second thing is, you ask the Spirit to fill you. Luke 11, 9 through 10 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And who seeks, finds. And who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus said, he told this story, he said, Remember, if a son asks his dad for something to eat, for some bread, do you think the dad's going to give him a stone? No, he's going to give him at least that, something better. He says, it's you being evil know how to give your son good gifts. How much better does God want to give you? And so you just ask. I mean, even this room may have never asked, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with your Spirit. I want to live in, its, in the presence of the Spirit. I want to walk in the presence of the Spirit. Confess everything you have sown sin. Ask Him, Lord, fill me with your Spirit every day. Pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And then the last thing is just believe that it's there. Walk in the Spirit. It talks about that in Romans chapter 8, that we live in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We consistently do that. Lord, fill me with your spirit and don't say, well, this ain't going to work. It's just something, I, I don't know why I'm even doing this. You just believe. Don't let your heart be filled with unbelief. Believe. And then walk and live in the presence of your God. There may not be an overnight sensation that you walk up, wake up in the morning and you're fresh and new and everything's perfect. But as you begin daily to seek the spirit's presence in your life and for him to fill you and to move through you, it will change the way you live. Let's pray together.